We continue today with a sermon series that I'm doing in the summer entitled Lessons from Biblical Characters. And so we look at biblical characters each Sunday and try to glean some insights from them. And in particular, this summer, I've been trying to look at some of the lesser known characters of the Bible. Today, we'll look at a lesser known character, but a character that has great power in effect, even till today, because of her name being associated with a ministry that you've probably heard of. You've probably heard of the Dorcas Associations or Dorcas Ministries, a ministry that pays special attention to the needs of the poor and those who are in need of shelter and food and clothing and so forth. And today we talk about someone who is the one who would be the inspiration for those ministries. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 36, going down to about verse 42 in the book of Acts. The words of the scripture say this today. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the clothing, clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Acts chapter 9 tells us the story of Dorcas. We know her commonly as Dorcas. That was her Greek name. Her Hebrew name would be Tabitha. She was a disciple in the town of Joppa. The ancient biblical city of Joppa was the home of this woman, Hebrew woman, with a Greek name also Dorcas. It was located on Israel's western border of the Mediterranean coastline, about 25, 30 miles from Jerusalem. Today, it is incorporated into the modern city of Tel Aviv. In that day, it was a major port and trading center, also a major trading route that aided in the distribution of imported and exported merchandise, textiles included. In the Old Testament, we remember that Jonah sailed from Joppa to escape from God's presence. We remember also from the Old Testament that cedar wood was shipped to the port of Joppa and then taken on to Jerusalem 
when Solomon determined to build a temple in the name of the Lord. When we think about this woman, Dorcas, it's interesting to note that she is the only woman in the New Testament specifically called disciple of Jesus. There are a couple of other passages and places where groups of women are called disciples, but singularly, Dorcas is called this in the New Testament, a great distinction. The name Dorcas is a Greek word that means gazelle. The image of beauty and grace of that name is definitely fitting for this woman and her Christian spirit. Because when we think about the scripture passage today that talks about her, and we think about the epithet that would have been put on her grave had she not been raised that first time, it describes Dorcas as one who was always doing good. I would hope that could be said about me someday. Always doing good and helping others, helping the poor. The next thing we read, Scripture between the lines doesn't tell us all that transpired and the time that passed, but we find out that she became sick and died, and apparently it was a pretty quick thing that happened. Her friends would go through the procedure of washing her body in preparation for burial and placing it in an upstairs room for a time of mourning. The Christians that were in Joppa, the believers there had heard, apparently somehow, that the Apostle Peter was nearby in Lydda, 25, 30 miles away. So they sent messengers, word, asking him to come and help them. Come and help them. Come and help them at once. There's an urgency to the construction of the Greek there. Well, as Peter hears about this, he drops everything and comes. We don't know if they wanted him to come for the specific purpose of, of healing Dorcas. We don't know. We don't know if it was to show respect for her at her funeral. That's between the line of scriptures we don't know. But yes, certainly, certainly those Christians cognizant of the miraculous power that our Lord Jesus Christ had, the miraculous power that the apostles had to do these mighty works, certainly, perhaps in their mind, there was the thought that perhaps Peter could do something. We don't know. It may, it may have been a day or two before Peter actually got there, depending on how he traveled. But when he arrived, he was taken to the room where Dorcas' body lay. There gathered in that room were many widows, the scripture tells us, showing the various articles, mourning of clothing that, that Dorcas had made for them. Now these, the presence of these widows, there is evidence of the compassion that Dorcas must have had on folks that were in need. Mistreatment of widows was very common in the Bible times. And you see it mentioned a lot in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, caring for widows, taking care of them. It's almost synonymous with the term being poor in that day and age because in biblical days, a woman was virtually dependent upon her husband for her income, for her upkeep. She could not simply go out and find a way to support herself generally if her husband died. And if she had no grown children to, to turn to for helping her. Many times in, in that culture, the property of the husband would go back to the husband's family and not to his widow. 
This is one of the reasons that even the Lord Jesus Christ looked down from the cross and asked to make sure that his mother, his earthly mother, would be cared for by John after he was gone. Widows were conspicuous because many times, and you look back into the book of Genesis, you can see a reference to this, they wore special clothing to denote them as widows. They evidently had only this protection which public compassion gave them as people saw them and contributed charity to them. A widow's garment was not to be taken, the Old Testament says, in any type of pledge or payment of a debt because she in likelihood only owned that one garment to wear in public. Jesus reaffirmed the biblical view of God's concern for the widow as he speaks with anger about hypocrites, those who devour a widow's house and then make long prayers in public. So it's easy to see why these poor widows in the town of Joppa were upset and were there mourning the passing of this, their friend, this, their helper, not only had they loved her for her noble character, but also she had probably helped them in tangible ways with garments and other types of ways that she would have helped them. You can just picture the scene in that room, the mourning and the wailing and the people that were upset and Peter perhaps sensing that or whatever another special reason that he wanted to clear the room. He quietly cleared the room and sent the folks out that he could be alone. And then we have that picture of him kneeling and praying. And surely he was asking God for divine wisdom and power and healing in Jesus' name. And then the scripture simply says that he turns to her and he commands her to get up. And miraculously her eyes open and she sits up. And after helping her to her feet, Peter calls in the others to see she was alive once again. And oh, what a scene that would have been. Oh, what a scene that would have been. Such a scene that news of this miracle quickly spread all over Joppa. And as a result, the scripture tells us many, many came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ Key phrases that are in our passage of Scripture today, key phrases about Dorcas as someone who was always doing good, always doing good, that implies that it wasn't a singular thing, but it was a habit of life. Oftentimes we lament and get discouraged because in our life we're inconsistent. Maybe we're not as loving or have the fruit of the Spirit consistently as we would think we should, but the scripture calls us to a habit of life, a lifestyle. We're not perfect. We don't do things perfectly all the time. But what is it more often than not that identifies my character? More often than not, identifies your character. More often than not, do you see the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Is that the predominant characteristics of my life? I'm not perfect in it. You're not perfect in it. But more often than not, is that what defines me? Yes, as we mature in Christ and become more like Him, more and more and more, those things define us. 
And Dorcas is described as someone who had gained the reputation, the reputation of always doing good, having a heart for the poor, the downtrodden, those who were less fortunate than her. Dorcas must have been aware of Jesus' admonitions and Jesus' teaching about the poor and his special relationship with the poor. As Jesus, as he taught that when a person feeds the hungry, gives water to someone who's thirsty, cares for a stranger, clothes the poor, visits the sick or those in prison, they do it to him. They do it to him, Matthew 25. Christians today are called not to forget the poor. The scripture says that the Lord has a special heart for the poor. We see it all through the Bible. You can go back and look in the books of Amos and so forth and how, how the prophet chastises them for taking advantage of the poor. And then we see Jesus as he, he's a friend to, to people in all kinds of circumstances, someone who heals, someone who feeds, someone who helps. And we're called to help. One of the great, great things that caused the early church to grow like wildfire in the Roman Empire was these Christians that had a sensitivity for people's needs around them. There wasn't social security in that day. There wasn't any type of welfare programs or, or food assistance program. It wasn't formally there. And on the, on the scene of history comes the church. And when the church comes into the scene of history, all of a sudden you see folks who are loving those downtrodden, who are loving those who are, are in need. And, and it has an effect. And it has an effect of attracting people because they see something tangible and authentic there. And as just as the early church was called to be that, to the physical needs of people around, we're called today not only to think about the spiritual needs of folks, but the physical needs of folks. That's why just in the past week or so, 25, 30 folks were with Mike down in Guatemala. A lot of our teenagers and their parents building a house Build more than one house for folks who, who, who didn't have a house, who didn't have a house that was safe and, and, and didn't leak when it rained and, and, and could stand up to the winds when they, when they blow. Building a house in the name of Jesus Christ, a tangible act that we receive inspiration for doing as we look back to the scripture, as we look back to the, to the model and the, the example of the early church, as we look back to someone Name Dorcas. Today, Christ calls me and you to have a perspective about our material possessions and the things that we've been blessed with. And that perspective is that it all belongs to God. It's all His, and we're to be good stewards of it. And as good stewards of it, we're to share and to help others. And we do that in lots of ways as we give of our tithes and offerings each week to help in all kinds of ways over the world, but also as we give with our times and our talent and as we, as we reach out to those who, who may, maybe not be poor materially, but they're poor in spirit and they need that attention and that listening ear and that, that, that sympathetic understanding, all of those things God calls us to, all those things the early church embodied. And that's why the church grew like crazy. That's one of the reasons it got people's attention. And then as people got 
drawn into that fellowship, they heard the good news about Jesus Christ. And the ultimate thing that would make the church grow is the hope of the resurrection that they would know about. And oh, as they talked about the resurrection of Jesus, don't you think they talked about the resurrection of Dorcas? That story of her being raised with the power of God, the power of God. Dorcas always doing good, always doing good. I wonder if that can be said about me someday. I sure hope so. Dorcas was someone who, who did good works. And you know, when we come to know Jesus Christ, that's a natural outgrowth of knowing Jesus Christ. We become different inside. A change in our heart occurs. No longer do we live for self. It's not just me, but now it's others. As that great passage in Philippians says, we consider others better than ourselves. In that secular Greco-Roman world, what was so narcissistic and self-centered came the church, came humble Christians loving others, showing the agape love that Jesus Christ demonstrated, going about doing good, doing good. We don't do good to earn our way into heaven, but we can't help but doing good when we know Jesus Christ and we're redeemed by him and we've come to know him. We can't help but emulate his life as the spirit lives and moves inside of us and changes us. We don't know a whole lot about this woman, Dorcas. There's only seven, seven or eight verses here. But what we do know is that she rose above whatever limitations she might have to make a difference in the lives of others. Think about it. It was a man's world back there in the first century, and she was a woman. Yet Jesus valued women and released them, called them into ministry, and so did the church. Who was the first person Jesus appeared to when he rose from the dead? A woman, Mary Magdalene. Such a Anomaly in that culture for that to happen. Such an anomaly. But Jesus showed an example that the kingdom was not just for men, but it was for women. And it was for people, all races, all backgrounds, all over the world. As prophesied in the Old Testament that Abraham would be the father of many descendants all over the world who would come to know Jesus Christ ultimately. Dorcas didn't say, well, I'm just a woman, what can I do? She might have been by herself. There's no mention of a husband or even a family. We don't know if she was a widow herself. And, and in that day and age, it was more of a couple's type of, of culture. And she might have been overwhelmed by all the needs around her, but she didn't let that stop her from doing good. Sometimes we look around and we say, the need is so great, why even try? What can I do? There's so many people in Guatemala that need houses or Mexico that need houses. Why even try to build one? That's just a drop in the bucket. But imagine what that drop of the bucket is to that family who goes from not having a place to live to a place with a roof over the head and safety it makes a lifetime of difference. And Dorcas made differences in small ways. We can be tempted to feel like our efforts don't make a difference. There might have been a lot of things that Dorcas couldn't do. We have no record of her writing a book, preaching a sermon, or singing a song. But she didn't focus on what she couldn't do. 
She did what she could. She did what she could. Remember when God called Moses out of Israel to rescue Egypt? I mean, excuse me, out of, uh, to rescue uh, the Israelites from their captivity in Egypt? Moses was full of excuses. He had a whole list of reasons why he wasn't qualified to go. He was scared. And God said to him, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. As a shepherd, he had that staff he carried around. God told him to lay it down, and it became the rod, the staff of God. God used what was in his hand, and maybe, we don't know, but maybe God had asked Dorcas to use what was in her hand. What was in her hand, she would have said, a needle. I can't preach, but I can sew. I can make garments for the needy. It wasn't an easy job, but she could make clothes, and she did that. And as she stood there on her deathbed, folks were standing around comparing the garments that she had made for them. The Christian life that we live is not just about knowing the right stuff. It's not just having our theology right. It's about being someone, the kind of person that Christ calls us to be, actively going around and doing good things. As a result of the grace that has been extended to us, faith without works is dead, says James, because there's no faith that there's not works, because works are an obvious, natural outgrowth of knowing Jesus Christ. Service is a vital part of our witness to the world, because it reflects who's inside of us. It reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. No, we don't have any record of the words that Dorcas said, though obviously she said a lot of things that aren't written in Scripture. But we have her deeds, her good works that she's remembered for. St. Francis of Assisi once said this. He said, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. There's a lot of truth to that. Because we are the living word, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living in us today. We're the word that people can see as we go and serve the Lord in his name. Dorcas didn't just help one person at a time, did she? The scripture says she was always doing good. She made it a lifestyle, faithfulness to God. A lot of times we get wrapped up into thinking, if we're not successful, then we're a failure. And what can God do with my puny little efforts? What can God do with the things that I have abilities that don't compare to somebody who's much more talented or, or able to, to be in front of people and stuff like that? Don't ever fall into that trap. Dorcas didn't. You can make a difference. And God knows the things that you do in the name of his kingdom as we serve and as we help others, our roles may change from time to time and season to season in our life, but God can and does use us. Use us. Because he doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Faithful servants and stewards of what he has given us. 
Well, as we remember this passage of Scripture, we remember that Peter was implored to come and the widows were weeping around him. And one, one writer put it this way, the work, works of Dorcas were recognized with a feeling in that Christian community experience when Dorcas was gone. They remembered her self-consuming service, her compassion, faithfulness, her charity. They knew they'd lost a dear friend. The picture of these people gathered around her in the room does not describe people who are sorry for the things or service that they've lost from her, but because they've lost one whom they love, whom they love. Dorcas gave her time and talent and care to others. Because of that, she's immortalized even to this today in these things called Dorcas societies. I think they had their roots back in the Methodist church couple hundred years ago when we think about this world it's a busy place life is complicated it often seems like it takes all my energy all your energy just to get through the day and keep things going and get through the week it's been a busy couple of months here leading up to moving into this new church building and I'm telling you I'm tired And in about a week or so, I'm going on vacation. But you know what? Life has seasons like that where we get busy, 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 busy. You know? But even during those times, we can be an example for Jesus Christ in little ways. We live in different times and different circumstances, perhaps, that Dorcas did. But people still have needs in our time. People are still hungry. People are still cold. People are still lonely in our time. Technology has increased, but with the increase in technology, with the increase in ability to communicate, what do you look at in the paper? Just pick it up, and they'll say, great vast percentages, vast percentages of our people, vast percentages of our younger people in our society are afflicted by loneliness and depression. So the technology is not the answer to that. What's the answer? The answer is relationship. Relationship. So maybe you and I today can't do things that the world deems to be real super valuable and and would be uh, something that would make us popular and give us acclaim and esteem and notoriety. But no, we can do things that matter. Authentic things listening to somebody when they need to be listened to. That's showing mercy. Listening to somebody you know, that's, that's welcoming a stranger. Did you know that? Seeing somebody who's left out of a group and, and so forth, and you, you drop your relationship or conversation with somebody that you're comfortable with and purposely go over and draw them into the group, that's welcoming a stranger. That's hospitality that we can all do. We can all be involved in the physical, tangible needs of helping people. As we've talked about, the things that our church is behind in doing, we can do those things. We can come, as happened just this past week, as as James Tenney went home to be with the Lord and Ruth and, and the family grieving the loss of James and so many sweet ones in this audience who baked a cake or made a casserole or made a phone call, numerous ones, saying, I'm thinking about you. I know what it's like. I've been there. Henry Nowen says this, 
Our lives as we live them seem like lives that anticipate questions that will never be asked. It seems as if we're getting ready, ourselves ready for the question, how much did you make during your lifetime? How many friends did you make during your lifetime? How much success did you have in your career during your lifetime? How much influence and notoriety did you have in your lifetime? But he goes on to say this, were any of those the questions that Christ will ask when he comes in glory? Many of us could approach that with great confidence if those were the questions, but those aren't the questions. The questions that we're going to hear when the Lord comes are those simple questions that say, what have you done for the least of these, the least of these, my brothers and sisters? There's a great Franciscan benediction. If you know about the priests that are Franciscan priests, they're specifically committed to helping the poor. They have been for centuries. And there's a benediction I read from a Franciscan priest written many years ago that I'd like to conclude with today that simply says this, this benediction. May God bless you with discomfort and easy answers half-truths, superficial relationships, so that you might live deep in your heart. May God bless you with anger and frustration at injustice, oppression, exploitation of others, so that you may work for justice, for freedom, for peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all of our children and to the poor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.